Hello, 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 and welcome to this topical life. Oh my goodness. Uh, I was just talking to who is going to be with us today, and it is Kevin Chadwick Shaw, who (laughs) happens to be my very older brother and, um, and is so many things to me. And thinking about a proper way to introduce him has been absolutely crippling because he means so much to me. And so let me just say this in, in talking and trying to gather what this podcast episode would be, I, I had to just step back and just let it be because this could easily turn into a brag podcast about how awesome you are. <laughs> like all the amazing things you've done and all this kind of stuff and plotting, like how I think your testimony and how your walk has been. Like I have all these like thoughts and, you know, I could just go off, but uh, the reality is, is that whatever's going to come out, is going to come out and we're just having a conversation and I'm going to put my podcast hat on the best I can and just walk with you and talking about your journey. So this is Kev Shaw. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello. (laughs) Welcome horns. (laughs) Go horns. Yes. Um, Anyway, so it's good to see you. Good to see you too, Ted. Yeah. So, okay. Let's start with how it started. Just uh, where to begin. Um, You know, this is about showing people, this podcast is is about showing people hope in the hardest times and how someone can come out of the hardest times, but also uh, just the process of that and things you've had to overcome and just things that were unexpected and also for better, for worse, you know, right? Definitely. Definitely. What, where, where would you want to start that would start this talk? Do you have an idea? Well, my mind instantly goes right to where I think the greatest struggle was for me. You know, there are several, I guess there are several entry points for struggle. I mean, there's the, um, you know, I, I think the overall arching theme in my mind of this is there's beauty in the struggle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, uh, that beauty whip it, whip it good. <laughs> yeah. I'm so tired of missing my checks. Um, I, so what made, I you choose, what made you choose that? It was just some song that I had on there that I downloaded. I was just testing it and I went back to it and I was like, this song is going to make me, I, I have a full song attached to my text. So oh my gosh. Whip it. I'm good. not missing my text anymore. <laughs> Tired of it. So uh, I'll okay, put sorry. these on, put this on vibrate. Okay. But um, I don't, you know, uh, I think that, that um, there is a lot of beauty in the struggle. And I think there's a lot of struggle now that's going on. And when I hear, you know, so many things of like, yeah, there's a lot of bad things in this world. There's a lot of overcoming in this world too. And I think that, um, uh, I've entered into a stage, uh, in my life now where, uh, there are a lot of things that are happening that are great for me. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why 
um, maybe people around me aren't jealous of me because they've seen me struggle for so long. They're actually happy for me, <laughs> you know, and uh, cause things are going really well. You know, the, 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 you know, the record is the country song is playing backwards now, you know, I am married, I have a child, you know, I'm doing good in business. I know what I want to do with my life, you know, and I'm 50 years old and I've uh, been through several different things. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, you know, for, uh, for where I'm at right now. And I feel like I really have lately in this season of my life wanted to tell my story. And, you know, there's a, um, there's a scripture that talks about, you know, he's put my feet on rock, you know, he set my, I, I, you know, I was, my, my feet were in clay and he lifted me up and set my feet on a rock. And I remember when I was going through really, really tough times, um, I just remember thinking, I don't know what it's like to have your feet put on a rock, but it seems like that's a good thing. And that's what I'm praying for. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think that's what I have now. And, um, and at one time, that's really all that I wanted, you know, uh, was for God to put my feet on, on solid ground, you know, and, um, and it did not come slowly, um, but it happened. And just like it happened in the writer in the Bible, I think it's David. I'm not really sure, but it happened to me. You know, it was a promise. You know, if you ask, then it'll happen. And um, so, yeah, I'm open to sharing what, you know, what happened then, what it was like and what it's going on now. I'm totally um, game. I feel like it's it's a good time for me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to start where maybe just maybe in our family, like where you started to feel different and just the struggle? I mean, there's so much family history with mm -hmm. moms and dad and all that kind of stuff. And we don't have to like get into the young, young, young Kev. But in my mind, what thing that sticks out is kind of when you decided a big faith move for you seemed to be when you left for Nashville. And well, yeah, you know, I'll go a little odd on you here because I think for me that I had a dream when I was in seventh grade. Um, and I don't even know if I told, I probably did tell you this, but mm -hmm. I feel like it has been uh, an overarching uh, journey. And sure. um what uh, the dream was is, and I remember I had a really like the seventh grade teacher uh, was really out there. She had like gargoyles on her, you know, on her front uh, entryway that my she wore. She kind of these, you know, these necklaces and everything. And and I remember she could interpret dreams. She said she could interpret dreams. And so I had this dream. <laughs> what? Can you imagine if a teacher said that today at our schools? Like, yeah. <laughs> that'd go over real well. Yeah, she was I mean, really out. She was back then, you know, she was out there. Right? I mean, gargoyles. Uh, yeah. But, you know. and, uh, so, uh, yeah. And so I, I had this dream. It was just mind-blowing. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I took it to her. And she looked at me after I told her, she said, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> and I mean... I, you you listen to somebody who interprets dreams. When has anybody ever done that? <laughs> Only you, Kev. You know, well, it wasn't really that. It was, it was just, to me, it was that, it was that, 
I don't know. Maybe it was, but anyways, it uh, was, I'm sure it was. was. Yeah. So, uh, but the, the dream was, is, you know, back then in seventh grade, I really loved football. That was my thing, you know? Mm. And, and, um, and I had this dream that I was with my football pads on walking on this Marina, you know, and there's this, this thing. And, uh, and I fell in the water and my football pads drowned me. <sighs> and uh, it's like the boat, like, is this at the, where was this? That? Was, yeah. This was around that time. Right. Oh, I mean, okay. this was before the boat cleaning business. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I drowned in this dream and I ended up in this cave and I was, I was, I had these chains on, you know, my arms and everything, and I could swim around and I could not get out of this. And I was down there forever. And, uh, and I remember that uh, I had all these missed dreams and sadness and, um, you know, and just all these, these phases of, of disappointment and surrender. It seemed like I was down there for years. And, um, and then one day, you know, I, before I realized it, I didn't even care anymore. Like I, I got used to it, you know, and, um, and I, and I actually kind of liked it, you know, I liked the, the solemnness of it. I liked the, you know, it was, I was in myself and I, I was very, um, um, my mind was settled, you know, and I was in a place of surrender and chained, to these chains that moved and I could swim underwater and I could breathe underwater. And I was just, and in a way I started, I was at play. And then one day this somebody, this woman with this boy walks by and they see, and I see them and I like swim to the top and I, I forgot to speak English. I didn't know how to talk. Ooh. And um, so I just was like screaming, you know, and the boy said to the mom, I was like, Oh my God, it's a monster you know? And, uh, and I just was like, I heard the boy and I realized it's like, wow, I'm a monster now. Like I had like hair and I was nasty and all this stuff. And, uh, the woman had compassion on me and, um, and they rescued me. And, um, and then I, and then all of a sudden I'm out on this Marina, I completely cleaned up and the sun was shining where I had fallen into the water and of course there's no football. I mean, this is just years and years, years later. And I walk up and I, you know, I go to the stand and I ask where something is. And, you know, there's a really pretty girl in there and I could tell she was looking at me and thought I was attractive. And it was just like, wow, man, things have really changed. You know, I'm not a monster anymore, you know? And, um, and then I went home I got on a bus and I was riding home. Of course, it's sunny and I get out, I walk into the house. And the first thing I remember seeing and hearing is Grandpa Shaw and Brian talking. And, uh, and Brian, uh, Brian says, yeah, I'm going to make a lot of money. And Grandpa Shaw pats him on the back. And I remember thinking, wow, that used to be me because I thought I was always going to be the one to make a lot of money. You know, and um, and I was always propped up as that entrepreneur. And and then I went into the living room and uh, and then there there was these grown up people in there. You were uh, grown up and um, and you recognized me first. And wow. of course, the, you know, the light in the room and everybody cried. And that was the end of the dream.
Oh my God. You've never said this dream to me. <laughs> you are always full of surprises. Always, <laughs> always, 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 always. No, I've never heard of that. So you told that entire thing to that teacher. Yeah. <laughs> She's probably like, what the, oh my yeah. God, that's great. That's great. Yeah. That's she great. She, I hope she said, wow, that's a really deep dream. Like, it sounds like you have a lot going on, you know? Yeah. It, feel, it felt validating. It felt very validating because, um, you know, it was, it, it was, she took it seriously enough to say, I'm not really sure what that means, you know? And, yeah. uh, and I appreciated her, you know, doing that. And I would have been able, I mean, if she had tried to give me another, if she had tried to say something, I don't think I really believed or would have believed her anyways, because I felt like that there was a message in it. I didn't know what it was, but um, I think back a lot about that dream. And, um, you know, you know, I own that boat cleaning business, you know, and it went South. And, um, and I also, um, you know, was uh, struggled financially for a long time, you know, and Brian did become financially successful uh, beyond me for this a is long Brian time. Shaw, my brother. No, yeah. Brian. Yeah. And I was always, you know, dad mm. always says, Kev, you're going to be a millionaire and, you know, da, 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 da. but he never really talked to Brian like that. Um, and, uh, and because, I mean, we just in more Brian, uh, dad and I were in business together with this boat cleaning business and, but it became a dark thing. You know, the boat cleaning business became a dark thing and it became, um, uh, it was sad and, and I walked away from it. And, uh, of course, football, I never played football and that was always my passion growing up. And, um, and then, you know, going into, uh, you know, going, going to college, um, was kind of a, a unique experience for me because, um, I, I, uh, I went to university of Texas, which was a, a, a great thing for me. Uh, and, um, but it was this great time in my life where I don't think it's necessarily a part of the dream, but I do think it was a precursor to what led me to finding peace, mm-hmm. uh, within the struggle and, uh, the struggle for me in a lot of the years that I had, I felt like I was in that cave underwater with the chains, um, attached to my arms and limbs. Um, the struggle became getting used to not being the best version of myself, getting used to, um, ultimately the surrender of pride of ego, which is still a a constant thing, but, um, it's being, um, okay more with not being who I wanted to be, you know, and finding something within that was more peaceful and more, um, that I couldn't have found if I wasn't in a sense, in a place of struggle. And, uh, so that came, uh, as a, uh, later, but when I was at the end of my college career, I really uh, had tapped into a spiritual belief uh, that deepened for me. And uh, I had a, um, I had a, I always felt a sense of closeness to God when I would hear, hear the scriptures, uh, I, I hear the scriptures. I don't know if you knew this, uh, Tiff, but mom would take me to these, and she bought me these Christian tapes, uh, these stories of David and, and Saul and, and I, you know, I've spent a lot of time by myself just putting these tapes in these, this record, and then we're going through this book, these books, they're kids' books. Yeah. You know, and uh, so this was at a house that you were never even in. Um, this was over off Sandero. Just put the tape in, listen, put the tape in, listen. And then on Sundays, we didn't, you know, go to church or anything. So I'd sit with Morris, our cat, 
and watch the televangelist and sit there and pray with the cat, you know, with my eyes closed, you know, and um, I always just felt a sense of that, you know, there's a, a piece, you know, uh, of hearing the stories. I think the stories are amazing. You know, the, the story of David and Goliath is amazing and Saul becoming blind and then, you know, um, and then being able to see and, and, and then was it, um, was it Jonah got swallowed up by a whale, which is still blows my mind. And, and, uh, so I was captivated by these stories and in many ways still am. And, uh, so, Later on, you know, when I graduated college, I had had tapped into that, um, into my faith and actually started to you know, read scriptures more and really, um, you know, uh, and really delve into my faith, which was interesting now that I told you, I don't know. Did I ever tell you about Darren Kanata? Darren? Yeah, he's the one yeah. that did, that had AIDS. Yeah, he had AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was right at that time where I was, I was, I met Darren when I was partying and then also when I started following the Lord and it was really fascinating to see our relationship go through that time together. Because when I first met Darren, um, uh, yeah, he was hitting on me at a party, you know, and uh, I remember I taught, I pulled my friends aside. I said, Hey, this guy's got a motorcycle and I got a motorcycle. He's wanting my phone number. Do you think he's hitting on me or do you think he's just weird? And, uh, they said, I don't know. I think he's just weird. <laughs> and, uh, so I gave him my number and, um, and, you know, he called, you know, the next day and said, Hey, let's go motorcycle riding. And, um, and I said, Oh, I can't, you know, the next day he called me, Hey, you, you available. And, and I said, no, I have this test. And he got really upset with me. And, um, and I said, Hey, uh, what's, what's going on here? You know, this is even before, this is really before I really saw myself as following a greater path than just selfishness, just my own, you know, excitement in life, you know, not necessarily selfishness, but just, you know, joy, just going out to have fun. And, and I uh, said, well, I, I just, I can't tell you over the phone you know, and this was like at 10 o'clock at night, I've got a test the next day and I could tell he was a, in a rough space. And, um, I said, well, all right, let me go meet you somewhere. So we met and he told, that's when he told me, he says, I have AIDS, you know, mm -hmm. and, or I have MHIV mm -hmm. and I, I don't know, you know, I'm just struggling, you know? And, um, so I just remember, you know, that moment, you know, with him, um, and not really caring whether he was hitting on me or not, but just um, very, very um, sorry, felt bad. You know, that's tough. You know, that's tough. And I wasn't quite sure um, how to help him other than just being there with him. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and we just, I just decided to be a friend, you know, and I think it's that time when it was a gift, you know, it was a gift uh, that, some people have, when I say they get to experience an opportunity to help someone else, you know, it was dropped in my lap and, um, I could do it. It wasn't like I've experienced it so many times where you see somebody that's maybe struggling and you want to help, but today you got to keep driving or, you know, you, it's just, it just was so perfectly dropped in my lap to be able to help somebody that I just did, you know, and, um, 
And Darren, um, Darren, you know, it was uncomfortable in a sense because I think he initially did see me as somebody that was going to be that relationship piece for him. Um, and, uh, and I, and I was always balancing that for quite a while, you know, um, being there for him, but also trying to, to also not be, um, that be that person that was going to be intimate with him, you know, and, um, and we had several conversations about that, that were, um, very, what's the word encrypted, uh, on his part, like he would say, oh, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like that, you know, but he was just kind of pressing and, um, you know, he would rub my back and next thing you know, and I mean, he'd be like, you know, and be yeah. like, okay, you know, I mean, I, you know, I wanted a back massage so bad. I was willing to risk, you know, but <laughs> so I'll take what I could get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I had, I, I'll take ownership for that one. I'm sorry. I let him on like that, but, um, yeah. <laughs> You are a fan of massage. Yeah, I, I uh, so let's clarify that because in day and age, clarify massages as in the appropriate massages. Yeah, back massage. I mean, it's, I was just on my back. He's like, oh, you want to rub that for you? Sure, you know, and I was like, you know, oh, was, oh thanks, man. Thanks. And he was getting closer and closer and finally had to go, okay, you know. Um, but that wasn't our relationship. You know, our relationship was we both had motorcycles and he would take me to these places called thousand points of light. Mm. And he would take me there and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, he would just show me different places that he would go and meditate, you know, and this guy, I'm telling you, I learned so much about, ah, God, about myself, about, life about struggle and you know this was a this, you know i was he was there leading me as much as i was there helping him you know and uh and i was you know a lot of people were like what are you doing and you know and and uh i think um when i went uh and part of me was uncomfortable because he was needy and you know he was demanding but at the same time you know, uh, I, I had, I had a hard time saying no, and I was enjoying it at the same time. So what happened was, is then the summer came and I went off to sell books door to door, you know, for that summer internship mm -hmm. and a whole summer went by. We didn't talk. When I came back, I lost track of them, you know? And then at that time is when, um, I met some guys and started, uh, reading scriptures and started and had a spiritual experience. Um, and, uh, where I really felt like I was sitting in a room reading scriptures and I felt something different happening to me, um, where I, I was like, wow, I feel like I'm on drugs right now. And this is how you feel when you smoke pot, you know, except better, you're not tired. And, um, it was just like, I'm reading this and I'm praying and I'm absolutely feeling something different happening. And that started to happen regularly. And, um, and then I met some other guys and I ended up moving into a house full of these Christian guys and, um, and, you know, and just, you know, really started to, um, you know, to, we look at scriptures about, you know, people tell your Christians, if you love by your love for one another, and man, we'd have Darren over, man. This guy was like, wow, these guys are really nice, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so we'd have Darren over every Tuesday cause we had Tuesday night dinners and, um, man, they get, became a big fan of Darren, you know? And, uh, we re Darren and I reconnected and, 
you know, and uh, they, Darren was hanging out with them and, and uh, you know, it was, it was great, you know, and um, it was just a great, in my mind, it was the purest version of being a Jesus follower that I've ever experienced, you know, and there was, you know, you know, what's going on these days is just, it really is very disappointing from a Jesus following perspective, because, you know, what I experienced was uh, a human beating heart is all that mattered, you know? And, um, and, and, and so Darren, anyways, Darren then contracted AIDS, Mm. um, and his, his condition progressed. And, uh, and then he started to have, um, some dementia, um, and, you know, all of this time I was with him and kind of going in, into, you know, um, hospice and, um, and, uh, he was, uh, man, he was a fighter, man. He was something else. And, um, but he had all these great sayings and I, and I enjoyed like, he used to, he, he could charm people. He had such a, a winsome way about it. We go out to to lunch and everybody loved him. He was always really good with the people that came. You know, one of my favorite sayings, which I have said before is, Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to put you on my Christmas card list. (laughs) (laughs) That was was like, I mean, he, like he had so many of those. Did he not have family around? He did have family. Um, but I think he was beaten by his father and he was sexually abused by maybe, you know, I, you know, he never really went into specifics because I think he felt um, that he was going to be judged by it. And I just, when it would come up and um, I, I just never really pressed him about it. You know, sure. it's really interesting that I never did. And I think it's because I always sense that he never wanted to talk about it. For sure. You know? Yeah. But when he was, when he was passing, you know, when he was going through that phase, I did meet his sisters. Um, I did meet his mom. And they lived on the east side of Austin, you know, and uh, and, you know, eventually uh, when he did pass, um, you know, I was I was in I was in communication with his family, you know, and I was the executor of his estate. I I had a power of his attorney over medical decisions for him. And um, and yeah, you know, and I remember when he passed, uh, you know, I remember when he passed, um, I remember I was running at it. Uh, I can't remember where this, this area was, but it was really like, God, was this, what was this, you know, what was this, you know? And I just was really upset. And, um, and I remember when he passed, I was running and, uh, and I remember I saw this full rainbow, just boom, just from one end of the sky to the next, it was like this full rainbow you know and i just remember thinking because i i was not a i had some bad times with darren too you know um i remember i lost my temper with him sometimes i doubted him um when i say i lost my temper i yelled at him one time and he had a panic attack um and we were just it was it was messy you know he was dying he had a lot of expectations of me um you know as any caregiver will tell you it's messy you're in the trenches um, you know, there's, there's more that needs to be done than you can do. 
So I'm balancing that and going to school. And of course, you know, it, it was always a, a, a positive thing. I just couldn't be there for them enough. And so I just, when he passed, I felt a, a lot of guilt, you know, honestly, as strange as that may sound. So seeing that rainbow really was validating for me. And um, so, um, you know, that was, uh, that was for me, I think that was for me, you know, coming out of, 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 um, you know, a spiritual development and then going right into being able to help somebody else, um, what tempered the rest of my life, you know, for the most part, I think it really, um, it just shaped, you know, the direction of my life, you know, and what I do now, it just really, uh, kind of just defined, um, where I'm at and what I'm doing. It wasn't, it didn't define me. It, it allowed me to come to see what, you know, what I am today, yeah. you know? So, yeah, that's a long story. It's a dream. And, and so the, the path then after college is, and then I got to experience depression. <laughs> Yay. We all love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I think depression and addiction, you know, were like the two things that really marked those handcuffs, you know, being underwater, you know, just being alone, becoming a monster, um, you know, uh, shame, living in shame. Um, you know, depression was the first thing that hit and it, uh, it really was a isolating thing. Um, you know, let's, let's back up here. So, yeah, sorry to cut you off. I just want to know the timeline. So this is after college, what yeah. Were, okay. What were you doing at the time? Like, is this is, were you back at home? Was this the time you moved back at home? Yeah. So um, I graduated from the university of Texas and, um, and I moved back to Dallas yeah. and worked for dad uh, for that software company. It's called creative America. And it was a yeah, I know that one. engineering software and I was working for dad and, um, and I was also um, recovering from a broken relationship it was uh the first relationship of somebody i thought i was going to marry and uh, we broke up she broke up with me so for the better part of a year or two after you know graduating because it happened right when i graduated i was really tail spinning sure and um and i uh, uh i was there for uh i don't know six to eight months and then um dad's business, uh, he turned, he went out of business to create. And so then I got another job and working for a medical company, uh, with lasers, uh, leasing, uh, kind of like providing lasers, lasers for a day for in office, um, procedures, procedures. And I would take the laser to different offices for those in office procedures. And at that time, you know, that's when um, I started to, you know, uh, I, I wasn't working out as much and, um, you know, I, I wasn't as, um, you know, I was more isolated. And I think a lot of people hit this when they start a career and they don't have the connections and the social interaction with people and they're working. You know, I never forget the first summer I'm looking out the window going, wow, I'm not going to have summer anymore. <laughs> oh, God. Isn't that such a harsh reality? Yeah, it sucks. You know? Yeah, uh, I still feel <laughs> luckily having yeah. kids kind of makes you feel like you have a summer, but still, right. you know, drinking cheap coffee, looking out the window, you know, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I guess I'm an adult now. Yeah. Yeah. Office coffee, man. Doesn't mm. mean worse than that. <laughs> still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you're growing up, but you're growing up. 
I growing up, yeah, putting that degree to work. <laughs> so, but then I, uh, then I got a, you know, I, I did, I, and you know, right around that time, the early twenties is the time when if you have a, um, you know, kind of a disposition for a mental health disorder, it starts to show up in the early twenties. Mm-hmm. And mine was textbook. I mean, it is textbook. Of course, for me. Um, not really knowing anybody who had had depression. Um, and mine was clinical depression. It was not the kind that you get from like catching a cold. You know, this is more like type one diabetes. This is going to happen. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, or even type two diabetes, which I, I guess that's a good analogy. Type one, you're going to get it. That's just the way it is. Did you not, right? did you not think about mom um, having some issues and tying yourself to that? Um, I felt like, you know, I, obviously it seems like I would, but I felt like what she had was very different from what I was experiencing. And it was also, I also, and I think this is the, really the deceptive part of mental illness is that you can do things to feel better. So what I was doing was I was going, Kevin, you need to do more of this to feel better. Mm -hmm. Right. But then I was down on myself because I couldn't get myself to do those things. So then I was. Oh, gosh. Yes. The cycle. Right. So in essence, it wasn't that I had depression. It was just that if I would just do this, this, this and this, then I would be okay. And so it was just a cycle of shame. Right. Because if Mm -hmm. I just if I could just get myself to do this, this this. and in my situation, too, is because I have a different kind of depression where it's tied to uh, a cycle uh, called circadian rhythms, which is, you know, the 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 kind of the word is bipolar disorder, but really there's a segment of bipolar disorder, which is mainly depression. So they instead of calling it depression with hypomania, which is really what it is. Hypomania is a a minor version of manic behavior. They call it bipolar two, which is basically saying that you have ups and downs, but it's not that manic uh, episode that you're up all night. You're maybe even having delusions. And that's what I felt like mom was more in that world, you know, of having the types of unexplainable behavior that wasn't could not be explained by needing to read more, needing to do self-care. Yeah, that was, that was beyond that for sure. Right, right. And I felt like I was more in the world of if I could just, you know, get up and do my meditation in the morning, if I could just get up and do my exercise. And then the tricky part was, is that because of that cycle that I was dealing with, there were days that I could. And man, those are the best days of my life. I was the best version of myself for two or three days, maybe a week out of the month. So I would be doing all those things that made me who, what I feel to be a great, you know, employee, a great friend, this, that, and the other, but it just went away. You know, just my desire, my energy, the ability, all that, it just went away. And next thing you know, like a week or two later, I'm back down in the dumps. I'm like, God, if I, I just need to keep doing this and keep doing it, Uh, you know, total trap. So I, you know, I ended up going to a place where I was like, you know what, I'm just done with work. I don't work anymore, you know. <laughs> Screw this adult stuff. Done with oh, work. Oh God, I love. That's the thing about Kev is like, if he makes a decision, I mean, sometimes the extremes 
Well, he's going to be the extreme one. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to, da, 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 da. I'm just going to, you know, I love that. I love, 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 love. Extreme oh, no. extremism. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're, I don't think Angie does all the time, but. Yeah. She struggles with it. She tempers my extremeness for sure. Yeah, sure. Angie is his wife. Okay. So back to um, depression, the cycle. Oh, quit work. You're like done with yeah work. yeah so somewhere in the middle of all of this right is i go to a psychiatrist and i sit down with him and i haven't showered for a couple of days and my hair is all jacked up you know when you had hair yeah yeah when i had hair yeah wow there you go yeah i had blonde hair and everything yeah and uh so i go in there and and i got sweats on and you know, I got this, you know, and I sit down, I spend 20 minutes with this guy and he says, well, I tell you what, I think you got depression. I'm going to go ahead and prescribe me these meds. And, and I had this opposite response. Like, you think, you know, me after like a half an hour, like, yeah. you're going to say that I have depression. You're going to give me meds. I walked out of that office offended. Sure. But I was just like, oh, really? Okay. I got depression. You know, well, thinking back on it now, I mean, I haven't showered in days. I can't leave my house. You know, hadn't been, I quit pretty much quit work. You know, you're like, I need and a bullet list here. I was a classic. I mean, it's classic, but I was just like, I think I thinks he knows me. Are you kidding me? I don't have depression, you know? And uh, of course that catapulted me back to, I'm going to read every day. I'm going to shout, you know, I'm going to work out, you know, cause I'm going to prove him wrong. Sure. And, uh, that get, that got me going for maybe a month or two, just the, you know, just a trudging through it, you know? And, uh, sure enough, I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, maybe there is something to what this guy said, you know, maybe he does know. And, uh, so then I started taking the medications and luckily, um, the, the medications didn't hurt me because he gave me the wrong medications for what I have. Um, uh, what he gave me was an antidepressant. If you have bipolar two antidepressants are not good. You're looking for a mood stabilizer first. Mm. So in, in the particular illness that I have, it goes undetected all the time. Sure. And, um, and so many times they'll take antidepressants says, oh, it just doesn't work. You know, I just felt worse, you know? And, uh, and so then the prescriber will double down and try a different antidepressant and try a different one and a different one, you know? And, um, and, and unless that person completely spins out, you know, because what they can do is make the, the ups and downs worse, unless it's obvious and they never really get the right medication. So, you know, as I had a disorder that was flying underneath the radar. And so I took the medicine, some, I took it not. I just, I, I, I just was discouraged basically. And so at that time uh, I was uh, just decided I was going to start playing music, you know, and I think this was definitely one of those times where I was in the doldrums, you know, I was, um, I, I related to, to myself being in that dream in the cave a lot. It felt the same. There were very similar feelings um, that I was experiencing in that cave uh, that I was experiencing in my life. I wasn't, I was isolated a lot. I was playing guitar, which was great. And, and that was an example of how I started to find things from within that was enjoyable 
Um, whereas before I was very external, um, this, but, you know, anyways, and at that time also I was asking God for help, you know, and, uh, and I was saying like, can't, I'm not going to work. I can't go to work. So if you're really there, I need you to help me. And, uh, you know, the irony is, is that the phone was ringing, you know, for orders, people sending me orders. I was like, God oh, dang, I got to answer that phone again. And, uh, it's, sure. Yeah. I'll send you another set of supplies and this, that, and the other. And by the end of the fourth quarter, I won salesman of the quarter. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I barely left my apartment. I was playing guitar and, you know, I was recording songs and, um, and I honestly, I was just sitting there like, I'm stuck. I'm absolutely stuck. And these, the phone keeps ringing and, uh, and I, I had faith anyways, but it was just kind of like, sure. Great. My bills are getting paid, but I'm still miserable, you know, but I sure appreciate it, you know? And, uh, so it was an odd kind of dynamic because I was taking God up on his promise to take care of me. But at the same time, I was just like, I was, I felt stuck. Sure. I felt stuck. And, uh, so anyways, uh, as an aside note, I, this is where I got fired kind of, um, is, uh, I went to this conference and I was so, I could not get myself to quit. You know, I think that's, I see people with, they like, they're doing a job they hate. They can't get themselves to quit. So, uh, I just, I, I couldn't quit, you know? And, uh, so I went, it was just, I was in this abusive thing for way too long. I just couldn't quit. I had, I was dependent on, I needed the income, right? And I was too lazy, not lazy. I was too depressed to go get another job. Yeah. So, um, but I felt, I was like, you're too lazy. I mean, you know, it was just a negative barrage of self-destructive comments. I hate myself, you know, um, I'm lazy. Um, but I just ignored all that and just played guitar as much as possible and, um, just hit out basically. So, um, but anyways, I went, you know, I went to this thing, I got won this, you know, the salesman of the year award and everything. And i just could not even care. And um, I'm sitting down with my boss and this guy that, that just got hired. And, you know, the boss is telling me this, Kevin is so good at this and seven is so good at that. And I just couldn't take it anymore. And, um, and I just, in a fit of honesty, sort of, I just looked at the guy and I said, you want to know really how I, I won this award <laughs> and, um, <laughs> right in front of my boss, he says, no, how'd you do it? I said, I have no idea. classic i have no idea i just sit around and somehow the phone rings and i was just dying to get fired you know right 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 so uh anyways around that time i you know i was playing enough music to think hey maybe i could maybe i could go to nashville maybe i could go somewhere and become a musician because obviously i'm motivated enough to do that yeah you know and uh so that's, that's when there was a new chapter that started. And, uh, you know, that's, that's when, that's when I decided to go to Nashville. So that kind of, you know, is where you, you had mentioned about Nashville. So that brought me to Nashville. And that was a pivotal moment for all of us. Cause as the family, especially dad, he was not happy about it. It was not a, it was not, it was a bittersweet. I think from, I mean, it was just a big deal. It was a big, big mm-hmm. deal for someone to leave 
that far. Um, you know, like even when I moved to Oregon, dad didn't talk to me for like a year. Cause he was so ticked off, you know, like I know it was yeah. a big deal, but at that time I was in college. So I, I did hear a lot about just your experience in Nashville and you were trying to become more of an actual musician, right? I mean, you were, mm-hmm. it was a positive experience, correct? Yeah, it was. And where, and where was your depression state at the time as well? Like, were you still taking the same medication? Um, like had addiction set in, like where, where were you in this situation? Yeah, I think that, um, the, um, uh, so the, uh, where, where I was at this time was, is I started to make decisions based on what my interest was, as opposed to what I felt like I was supposed to be doing. And this became a very strong, um, uh, um, kind of, a, um, uh, mm. uh, this was a strong move towards health. I still had the depression that was weighing on me, but because I wasn't, because I was centered on doing something, I was actually interested in it. It motivated me. It actually gave me traction, um, to fight the depression. And, um, so what I was doing was actually offsetting the depression that I was struggling with. And, um, so it really helped me and I, and I was not on medications at that time. And, uh, so somehow, some way that music just gave me power, um, to go forward. And so I, you know, would, would, uh, and I liked it. And I think there was a lot of, I'm trying to think it was a strength, you know, in, in, you know, as a counselor now, you know, I try to attach people to their strengths and in what they're interested in is a huge strength. Um, sometimes it could be the interest, you know, it's what they're passionate about can be, you know, life-saving, Sure. you know, in, in many respects that was because uh, me acting towards that empowered me. It gave me uh, motivation, um, and it helped me turn the corner and start to battle that depression um, with with something else that was naturally happening within me. And that was an interest in playing music. Right. So it was natural. It was inside me. Um, it, it wasn't something I had to motivate myself to do. Um, and so it it got me back on my feet, you know, just re- just connecting with something that was inside me. That was a motor. You know, um, and I read uh, it's funny. I read what colors my parachute. And I think I read like three pages of it. And I was like, well, I'm going to move. You know, I can tell you right now, I don't even need to read the book. I know what this is all about. And uh, my I'm not a salesperson, period. That's not my parachute color. So looks like I'm playing guitar. So that's what color my parachute is. Where do I go? And it was L.A., New York or Nashville. And I said, well, I want to, I'm a Christian. Maybe I'll do the Christian music thing. Let's go. And, uh, so I moved to Nashville sight unseen and, um, it took me a couple months to decide to do it, but, um, you know, it was a good decision. And, and also, um, I, at that time, I, my, my addictive eating, um, was I was battling that too. And so when I got out, you know, it helped me, it helped motivate me to, to offset it with exercising, offsetting it, you know, with, with, um, dieting or, you know, um, going to the gym and just somehow distracting myself from, from eating, um, you know, and binging. Um, and, uh, so that's when I moved to Nashville. And so that's that I was, I wasn't medicated. I wasn't medic. 
I, I didn't have depression medicine. I was motivated by playing music and, uh, and, and the eating was just, I was just struggling with it. It wasn't, it wasn't taking over, but it was battling with it. Sure. And it's hard to spot that addiction because even calling it addiction, because food is food. We have to have food. Yeah. You know, so yeah. how would you even go that direction? You know, I think I was a typical dieter, you know, and, um, you know, at, at that time for me, it was just what most people experience. And uh, it just progressed uh, further for me than others later on that eating became more extreme, the, the sugar binges and, uh, you know, just absolutely um, just bought, just you know, eating more sugar than beyond imagination. I remember talking to Brian one time. So how many candy bars have you had in a year? You know, because Brian's like this incredible eater. He's like a specimen of exercise, you know. Yeah. And I asked him. Specimen it, of exercise. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> he's like, he still you know, is. He's I know, still he don't live. And he, you know, you talk to him, it's like, I remember what I would ask him, like, what is the longest you've ever been without working out in your life? You know? And he was like, you know, I think it was two weeks, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, he's just, he lives on it. And I was like, how many candy bars have you had in the last year? You know, <laughs> he was like, I don't know, six. And I remember going, God, I've had six today. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even I could totally picture that conversation. And you best believe, you know, it was like probably Reese's cups for him because it's like peanut butter protein, you know. <laughs> right. like, it was oh, oh it's candy bars, but it's got protein. Yeah. Oh, and with Brian, he didn't he doesn't have to try, you know, he's just a normal eater, right? I mean, he right. he he uses food as a tool, you know, sure. to yeah. to promote his health you know he's the, he's the healthiest version of an eater that i know that i think i know you mm -hmm. know he actually eats for um function as a performance, performance. yeah he's for performance i think he enjoys eating too but mostly it's for performance he thinks about he thinks about what he's going to eat and then he eats it and that's all he eats you know mm -hmm. and um but anyway so yeah i don't know where i was going with that but that was yeah i was like six in a year you kidding me and i know he's not trying did you, you tell know? him did you say something to him like oh actually i've had six today kind of thing i, I don't know if i did but i was like wow i don't even know how to fathom <laughs> <laughs> so you're in nashville and you're unfolding your business which by the way i feel like i should add that you really are a good musician musician for sure i love your voice i love your guitaring oh. and you know just you know, it is a gift. It is truly a gift. It wasn't, you know, maybe, you know, I think it, even as a kid, I was kind of like, yeah, my brother's going to Nashville. He's going to be famous. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's his journey. Like he's just, you know, and you'd send me these CDs and like meeting all these famous people kind of, and just all these things. I just was like, oh, he's doing really well, you know? Um, but the struggle was very much there eating not knowing what to do. And then the depression, the depression. Yeah. And so then what happens next? Well, um, the, uh, mm -hmm. kind of the music thing really, um, about that time, I remember spiritually really thinking is, you know, I, I was having a heart, I was basically having life. I was having to wait tables and, 
you know, and then I was like, God, I, I need to get into, I mean, I didn't come here to wait tables and thought maybe what I could do is use my business skills to work in the Christian music industry. That'd be a way for me to get my feet wet. And so I started to work for Provident Music Distribution. I went in, um, I, I, I did another thing is I quit uh, waiting tables. I said, I'm going to live off my credit cards until I get a job in the music industry. And um, it was just a, it was another time that probably wasn't wise, but it was relying on God to help me. And I just said, look, I didn't come here to wait tables, came here to get involved in the Christian music industry. So I need your help in getting a job. And so I called up, this is, a, this is a side note, but I think it's a really, for me, a very inspirational story. And it definitely, to me, gives a meaning of going to Nashville. Um, and, um, and, and I, cause I'm not a musician, right. I'm, I, I know now from being around musicians that I, that's not my greatest gift, like to be a musician. I mean, to see these guys, this talent in Nashville, everybody's, everybody's, you know, in LA, Nashville and New York, you know, there's so many musicians because they flock towards there. Right? I mean, sure. but there were people that my neighbor who is a true musician, I, I would look at what he was doing on the guitar and I just was like, I, I can't even fathom what's going on with, with what that is, you know? And, and then the music and the singing. So in this journey, I'm kind of like, I don't know if I'm really like uh, I'm writing music that isn't really like what people are liking and people would kind of, kind of tilt their head when they heard it. And, you know, so there was a lot of insecurities there. And, um, but um, I wasn't a prolific writer. That's the other thing. I was around writers. They were writing like crazy, you know, and I was like taking six months to write one song, you know? And, um, but uh, anyway, so I got this job at Provident Music Distribution and I was in the interview with this guy named Nathan Red, one of my good friends. And um, he was just this kind of young kid out of school. I was probably 10 years older than him. And, um, and I had a medical sales background and he had uh, no sales background. And there were two jobs. There was an operator job and a sales job. And I, and the sales job paid more. And I thought for sure I was going to get the sales job. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, they ended up giving me the operator's job and they gave him the sales job. And I remember thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I'm a seasoned salesperson. I'm a medical sales for God's sake. You're going to put me in it. Hello, Provident Music. How can I change, you know, direct your call? You're going to give me that job? You know, and so I just for months was just baffled as I'm sitting there answering this 1-800 phone call, you know, and Nathan would go walk by, hey, what's up, man? You know, he's going to all these conferences and everything. And I'm just like, how is this even possible? Oh, you know, and, uh, and then, um, then I started to meet these guys that were in a different part of the building and they were on the international team. And it turns out that Provident had an international team and I was, my desk was right by the international team. And so they would walk by and uh, there was a guy named Alan, really cool guy. I liked him and they, he'd always stop and talk and, you know, I'm 10 King New Orleans and, you know, as he walks by and, you know, I was pretty, what I felt to be a medial job. And, and then I met the director, Dan Husing. It was a really interesting, just wonderful, crazy, wild musician and, um, and a giant you know, of a guy. He's probably six, seven, huge. And, uh, and then Yvette Kasparian. And so I met the team and just got to know him and everything. They had an opening. And, um, and I got onto the international team. And, uh, and this was so cool because like within – six months to a year, I was traveling around the world, 
Um, I went to Japan. I went to South Korea. I went to England. I went to Amsterdam and uh, I went to Canada and I was like, all, you know, Nathan was just sitting right there answering yeah. the phone. And I was like traveling all over the world. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, and of course I was, I was on my way to not being a musician, you know, it was just, I was, it was all coming together that, Hey, I'm not really a musician. I like to play. And that is a wonderful thing, but I'm not, that's not my greatest gift. But, um, one, one small story out of that is I was in Singapore and they, people do different things in different countries. Just, um, and I went to, I was with my Christian music distributor in Singapore and this freight, company that we used. I can't remember what it was, but they called uh, Joseph. He's on the phone while we're out. And they say, Hey, Kevin, they want to buy you a prostitute. <gasps> and uh, Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm, I, I don't know what. And he was like, yeah, you want to get a prostitute, you know? Oh, and uh, I was like, no. And he's like, well, they want to do something nice for you. And I said, <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'd like to get a tattoo. Can I get a tattoo instead? Oh my gosh. That's awesome. And uh, so he said, hey, he wants to get a tattoo. <laughs> okay, all right, we'll give him a tattoo. <laughs> so so uh, that's, that's how I got my tattoo. Oh, you know what? I don't think I knew that. Here, let yeah. me take a picture of it real quick so people okay. can see. Oh, let me get my- what is it? Yeah, get flex it up, man. What does it say? I forget. Truth. Truth. Look at that. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Truth. Truth. Yeah. So I was, I went to the uh, tattoo studio and I said, where is it? You know, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. So where is that scripture? I want that word in Mandarin Chinese. And, um, and so uh, we found it, showed it to him. And that's the tattoo I got. That's how I got that tattoo. Yeah. I've got Mandarin Chinese on my back. Do you really? You never do that? No. Yeah. It's, it's uh, spelled wrong. Pretty sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> So no one ever sees it. How do you know, though? Well, it's it says best friend, supposedly, but there is no such thing as best friend in Chinese. Mm -hmm. So it's the closest that you could come. But it doesn't look it doesn't look the best. It's just not whatever. Was it it like friend good? Yeah, like that, like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of mixed. Like basically it's characters, but they're but they're characters put together that have never been put together. Yeah. So it is wrong because it's like, it doesn't, it's not like a true, I don't know, eh, but it's, it's cool because, you know, my best friend and I have it, but still it's just kind of, Oh, well that's, that's, Hey, that's kind of cool. You both have it. That's all that matters. Yeah, we do have it. We do have have the same one. So I wouldn't get rid of it, but yeah. Yeah. But she speaks Chinese. So it's like, what what i don't really talk about it really because it's like <laughs> i just okay whatever okay so moving on tats well by the way i wasn't totally for sure because i had this epiphany i was like is it wait it doesn't really say like what if it didn't you know oh i know you don't know right and so i was in an airport in seattle and and uh somehow i saw somebody there and i heard them speaking they were Asian. They were speaking Asian. And I'd been to Singapore. I'd been to Seoul, Korea in the past. I was like, I don't think they're Korean. I'd been to Japan. I said, I don't think they're Japanese. So possibly maybe they're Chinese. So I went up to her and said, do you happen to speak Mandarin Chinese? She said, yes. I said, would you mind telling me what this is? <laughs> and um, she says, it's the facts. It's the facts. 
Oh and, my um, gosh. And I said, so kind of like truth, you know, said, yeah, it's the facts, you know, and it's interesting. Uh, yeah. It was, you know, that's the interpretation of the word truth. These are the way the facts. facts right. Yeah. I always thought that your tattoo was like Hebrew or something. Oh yeah. It's mad yeah. Chinese. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tattoos uh, in Singapore. Yeah. Now what? Well, so then, um, yeah, the, the international division closed, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the Provident Music Distribution International closed. And uh, then I started a pressure washing business. Oh, and, I remember uh, this. You remember the pressure washing business? I remember what <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah. 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 I and think. Yeah. Okay. What? What are you going to say? What am I going to say? Like yeah. what happened? Well, what you're just going to say something. I'm curious from your perspective, what happened? Well, I just remember you being like, yeah, I hated it, you know, whatever. And then someone stole the equipment and you were like, great. Awesome. Like you were so done with it. You were just relieved that someone took it. <laughs> yeah, that was kind I mean, of, that's what I remember. Yeah, that's, that's, that was a, that was definitely a shade of it for sure. Cause um, at around that time, I had met two social workers in the complex that I was living mm-hmm. and, uh, and I asked them, I said, Hey, you, can you make a living doing that? And they're like, yeah, you can do okay. You know? And, and of course I was always intrigued by the idea of talking to people to make a living. I mean, to, you know, to help people, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, you know, in our family, we don't have, we didn't at the time have any counselors. Right. So, you know, really coming mm-hmm. from grandpa Shaw and dad, it was really like, you know, business is what you do. And, um, and then I'd heard, you know, bad things about counselors that they're just in it to help themselves and solve their own problems. And, you know, I just was not around anybody that had ever done counseling or spoken anything positive about it, but I was always loved talking to psychology majors, you know, I mean, it's just, so I steered clear of it, mm-hmm. never even thought about doing it. And so here are these social workers that that's what they're doing. So I start talking to them and I'm just fascinated by what they're doing and what they're talking about. And I ask questions after questions. And, and then finally it came down to the real deals. Can you actually make a living doing that? You know? And, uh, and cause that's the embarrassing topic, right. Uh, for someone like me saying money is the, you know, your business, you know, can you make, you know, and they're like, yeah, you can make a good living. And I said, well, I mean, do you mind if I ask? And he says, well, I just got a job making, you know, like 60,000, 60,000. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, uh, and I hadn't made 60,000, mm-hmm. you know, even when I was in medical sales, I just cracked 50. So, uh, I was just shocked. So then instantly it was like, Hey, you know, uh, this pressure washing business, maybe what I can do is save money and get my masters. And then I'll become a social worker. And, you know, and, um, so right around that time, um, uh, that's when all my pressure washing equipment got stolen. And, uh, and I remember, um, I remember sitting there, I, I probably told you this, it was, I parked it out of Dollar General in downtown Nashville. <laughs> it was an area that, I mean, people had stolen shrubs out of our, uh, out of our, We're like, basically like, please take it without I saying mean, it. You know, it was just like a, uh, I didn't care, but I really, it wasn't even one of those. It was a mistake, you know, and I, here's, here's, here's Dollar General. There's a street and here's my fenced in parking lot that I could have parked it, that I live in. I left it in Dollar General. I have no idea. 
Why did you do that? Where did, what I, I don't know. I don't know. I got comfortable. I don't know. I got complacent. But this was an area, literally, we had to get lights on our street because they were stealing shrubs out of our land. Shrubs? Are you kidding me? Digging out the Jeez. shrubs. And we'd drive by and see them planted in neighbors' houses. You know, I mean, we were in a we're rough like, uh, part. That looks familiar. Jeez. Yeah, we were in a pretty rough part of Nashville. It was kind of gentrifying and mm-hmm. which then has its own, sure. um, you know, aspects of, of uh, disappointment, sadness and everything for, for, for people in that area, but meant something different to me at the time. And, um, so, uh, but, uh, at any rate, um, I was talking to the police officer afterwards and, you know, I was giving him my report and, and everything. And I just had this epiphany and I looked up at him and cause you know, I, I, uh, got loans to get through the university of Texas. I, you know, I got, I completely 100% got loans to get through. I didn't have any money paid for university of Texas and those school loans paid my rent lease, all that stuff. So I had this epiphany. I'm sitting there talking, you're talking to about people. your master's part. Well, my, 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 my graduate, my, my bachelor's degree I paid for as well. Right. So you're, this, right. but you're telling the cop and you're thinking, and the thing that you're, yeah, in the background is like, you know what I'm going to do? And the cop says, Oh, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going back to college. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I think I could do this. And yeah. so all of a sudden I kind of walked away. I was like, this is kind of exciting. And uh, so I went, I, I went to, uh, I got enrolled and, uh, the timing was good. I got, I got in and, and then next thing you know, it, you know, it was just like, Oh my God, I'm just, I knew, I knew I went into class. I was like, this is, this is it right here. This is what I'm all about. This is everything I'm talking about. All the people that I'm around, I get, they get me. Um, they, I didn't get them completely. Some of them were really beyond my understanding um, of what was going on with social injustice. And um, like, I just, you know, didn't see things the way they saw things. It certainly was, didn't disagree to some extent. I didn't understand. And um, so, you know, about that time, then I was even more propelled into something I was passionate about. Um, But something was going on around that time with food that uh, started to really, um, it was a much more of a struggle. And I remember, um, that I was, um, you know, I was staying on a Friday night. This actually happened right before that time. I was staying on a Friday night and order a whole pizza and down the pizza and then get up. And I was just like going from fast food to fast food. I was eating just day in and day out. I had three bowls of, of Cap'n Crunch before I go to bed every night. Plus, you know, 12 o'clock at night, sometimes get up and go get sweets, come back, binge, get up, feel terrible, swear to God, it's never going to happen again. Next thing you know, at 11 o'clock, I'm at a McDonald's going through twice, you know, and I just, just started to really lose control and um, putting on weight, hating myself. And I think the, I remember uh, eating so much that I just felt embarrassed to go to church that I couldn't get into my clothes. And I remember sitting at a buffet in the morning and there was a lady who had this Yahtzee thing that she was playing with by herself. She's a very uh, large person, Um, you know, me heading in that direction pretty fast. And I remember thinking, I need to get one of those because this is what my life is going to be. You know, I'm going to be at these buffets. I'm going to be sitting here by myself and I'm going to need something to do. And I really would like to have that thing that she's got. (laughs) I've always liked gadgets. I always like gadgets. Right. And um, so uh, (laughs) 
it was sad, you know, it was sad. sad. It was sad because I used to be like a, you know, attractive guy. And I always felt like I, you know, could talk to people and, but I was just, uh, I was just gave up. I tried every diet under the sun. Um, the Atkins diet was, was one that, um, I definitely did that a lot. Um, the, uh, the, the master cleanse probably know that one. I made it, um, 14. I know. I think I made it I know I made it 14 days, but one time I made it over 20 days. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I made it over 20 days. That's insane. Yeah. And I've lost all this weight and I went on a, um, uh, this was, this actually was when I was in the music business. I went on this, uh, convention in Atlanta and I went off the fast at the cheesecake factory with cheesecake and steak. No. Yeah. How did you feel after that? Didn't you're bother like, me at all. Go, seriously? You're like, Didn't or did it just like digest so well? It was like, bam. Like, oh, I was ready for more, man. I was like, this is awesome. Jeez. This is awesome. This works so good. I think I'll go eat some more. Did and, I ever tell uh, you what happened when I did it the, the 10 days and I was the nanny? No. What happened? They, uh, it was like day, like seven or eight. And I woke up and I couldn't see out of my eyes what yeah and my my vision would go in and out in and out okay and i was a nanny and i had to like i was like brian i was like and brian's like you need to stop this or whatever i I was like i don't know and i didn't want to give up but then i went to the doctor the doctor was like uh yeah you need to duh like i was embarrassed to even say that i was doing this cleanse you know and then i go and i go to the nanny uh, position thing and tell the person and she's like you know just stay home blah 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 well it turns out that thank God it was like the toxins were floating around and it was blinding me. And then I had to like expel it. And then I was fine. Isn't that weird? Wow. Yeah. My vision would go in and out. So (laughs) I was like, you're never doing that again. You know? Yeah. I did do it again actually, but then I knew what to do. Yeah. What'd you do differently? Well, you have to go number two more. Oh, it was the, it was that it was just like flushing it out. Huh? Yeah. Flushing out more. Wow. So that's, that's a, what a, I mean, that just tells you how much it works. I know. There's it so much work. toxins that, that, that was a beautiful cleanse. I mean, as far as like how well it worked, I mean, the joints, everything, I wish I could do that now. Um, but if it wasn't for that grade B maple syrup, that would throw me into a frenzy now, you know, uh, it would throw me off track of my, my current food plan, but I really respected the way that cleanse worked. Um, mm-hmm. that was really good. Um, but dang, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Back to your situation. So, yeah. So then, uh, yeah. So then I was eating like crazy and, and just eating all this sugar and, and, uh, losing control. And I, you know, and obviously I hated myself and, and one day I just got up, it was like two o'clock in the morning and my white t-shirt was all tight and I was just got, you know, I'm tired of my clothes being tired. I'm tired. Of and so I decided I'm just going to go run. I am literally just done with this. I'm going to go run. And uh, I'm going to run and run and run. And I was just so upset with myself that I just decided I was going to, I mean, if, if it's, it is possible to burn calories while you're running. Right. So why not just run until all the weight goes off? You know, it's going to just run until, I mean, just keep running. 
Yeah. Obviously, I got the way there. Right. So just run. Run, and, run. Um, So I was ready for like a, you know, a long haul, eight hours, nine hours, whatever it was going to take to just chop off about 10 pounds, you know. It, really, I felt like more. But anyways, so <laughs> I, I, I didn't even make it two miles. My knees were killing me. It was like they, they seized up on me. I could mm. barely walk. And, um, and I walked back to my place and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I'm done. I'm stuck, you know, and got up the next day, ate some more, ate. And, and that's all I did every day. I'd go to work just to get to escape it. But then I'd be sneaking candy bars and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, and I was irritable. It was terrible to be around. Um, I was a real miserable. I, I would always say, you know, what really pisses me off. And, you know, my friends would say, Kevin, you need to write a book. You know, the book's name is, you want to know what really pisses me off. I was just <laughs> not a good version of myself. And, um, and I find that that's typical of people that are in the middle of an addiction. They're very, um, just, they're just dissatisfied, irritable, restless, and discontent is what they say. That's exactly, I was like that stuck mm -hmm. in that irritable, restless, and discontent stage. And somehow I had a memory and I don't know if you know this, but dad went to O'Rears Anonymous in the eighties. Did you know that? No. Yeah. So I had this, I had this memory in the middle of the night and I remember being in the backseat of the car and um, driving up and dad walking out of this meeting, miserable, he get in the car. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I remember thinking, wait a second, dad went to something. It was some kind of like anonymous type thing. And then I remembered uh, that we had a discussion. We had a thing when I was in college and he was like, you know what the big book is? And I was like, no. And he's like, if you really want to understand what I'm, struggling with you need to read the big book and i was like what's the big book and he was like it's from alcoholics anonymous and i was like what like wh what the hell are you whatever you know and i just was like chunked it to the side of my mind and so i started to think about it and i was like maybe there is this eating thing that's like alcoholism you know like they treat the same thing i had this kind of like maybe there's something like that and i don't know if i looked it up i had to i looked it up in the yellow pages there's no other place to look because that was back in like you know that was the internet was not readily available there were no i didn't have cell phone you know um, right right um no google maybe there. maybe i did i mean maybe i did get online I and mean, i can't remember anyway somehow i found this meeting um, it was 2003. So how prevalent was the internet in 2003? It was pretty prevalent, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, you had AOL and, you know, I, Google, yeah. maybe, I don't think so. I don't know if Google was there, but somehow I found over ears anonymous. And I remember I called up, uh, called the number and I talked to somebody and, uh, this guy named Eric, met me uh at the door man i was really freaked i mean it was scary it was i've done you know i've done door-to-door -door sales i've done so many stuff i've never been i was just literally practically shaking oh. um and uh, this guy met me and he looked like anthony hopkins so i was like hey this guy's kind of cool looking yeah know? and um he's and he was a sharp guy and he took me into the meeting and I sat there and I just like when I went to the social work, it was like, wow, these people know what's going on with me. Like they get it. 
And I heard stories in there. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, I've been doing that stuff for so long. I heard like one, one person said, yeah, I, you know, I, I, you know, I threw food away and I went and got it out of the trash. And I was like, ah, I can't believe somebody just said that out loud. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was just like, what? You right. know, and of course I'd done that a billion times, you know, I'm not gonna, never going to eat this again. Chuck it, go back and get it, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, it, it just all kinds of stuff, you know, um, going through the thing twice. And, um, there were some people there that talked about how they would throw up after they ate. I never did that. Um, and, uh, but I certainly understood why, you know, you just feel terrible and, um, uh, but I, I instantly knew the, this, these people get what is going on with me. Like they got it. And I bought into it, everything. I, I was like, this is it. This is it for me. And I, I've been involved in 12 step recovery for my food issues ever since to this day, um, led a meeting yesterday right. and, uh, you know, and it's taken, uh, me years, you know, of growth, I mean, of understanding and being able to let go of certain foods that very first day, the very first day that guy I sat talking to him afterwards. And he said, Kevin, do you, you realize that you have an addiction to sugar? And I was like, no, I don't. And uh, I was like, I can eat this, but I can't eat that. And it was like, I can have Snickers. I mean, I can have that, but I just can't have peanut M&Ms, you know, because I can, I, I mean, it's just peanut M&Ms are like, I can't stop eating. It took me from 2003 to 2008 to come to terms with the fact that, that it was the sugar in it that caused me, it was, it was different wrappers, you know, different colors, different shapes, different yeah. things like that. But what really got me and, and, and ultimately I, it was, it all showed in my weight, you know, and, um, but uh, even though, even though it, I had that, you know, 2008, I was, I was getting healthier all the time. Like it, the, the, the I was surrendering a lot of stuff, you know, not just, it, it wasn't just about the food, but it, the food was important. It was, you know, me, giving up, you know, the, my idea of what, you know, um, my, you know, my world should be like my expectations giving, you know, of uh, uh, trying to control people, places and things. And, you know, I mean, there's just so much involved in recovery that doesn't actually have to do with the substance, though it does include the substance. So um, my meal, my very first meal plan was three meals a day, no snacks in between. And I loved it. I went and as long as I, started with, I decided what I was going to eat before I started. And that was all I had for that meal. And that was where I needed to start. And, uh, that my first meal plan was I can eat whatever I want, as long as I decide what I'm going to eat before I eat and stick to it. And, uh, and now it's developed into, you know, a very precise measure, certain quantities and, you know, eat at certain times and it's worked, you know, that's worked for me, but, um, you know, uh, now food is a substance. There's some of it that part of it that is an addictive, my body has an addictive response to it. So I steer clear of the foods that have an addictive quantity of substance in it that can trigger me. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. And, and then I also deal with a mental obsession. So I try, I, I still want to deal with life using food. 
You know, uh, when I'm tired, for some reason, I want to eat. I don't go tired. I don't go, man, I'm really tired right now. I go, I'm hungry. That's what happens to me. And I'm going to go, are you tired? Yeah. Well, you probably need to go sleep. Yeah. And I wake up and sure enough, I'm not hungry. Right. You know, I mean, my, everything goes to hunger. Like, I'm, it's all programmed, you know. I'm anxious, hungry, tired, hungry, angry, hungry, lonely, hungry. You know, I mean, everything goes to hunger, you know. And uh, so that's where meetings really help me out a lot. You know, it's just being aware, being connected. And then a lot of times, you know, being it, working the program as it's described, I don't even... The, the it's it's removed i'm very neutral around food i can be like brian i can use food as an instrument uh, for physical recovery you know uh, or for for physical reasons it's something i was never able to do before you know and uh, it's definitely a daily thing i've relapsed many times you know so when i get off track i'll, I'll go back to eating that way and it happens fast it's not pretty so it's amazing how far you've come and how disciplined you are in not just staying away from food and having a meal plan and do and sticking to that, but even just taking care of yourself with the meetings and gathering and doing the journaling and doing the really essentially like, like when you're saying it wasn't just about the food, it, it I think, you know, in talking with you through the years, there was a lot of healing that had to go hand in hand with that too. Right. Definitely. You know? And so you know, for someone who's listening that might even think just by talking with Kev, like, oh, maybe I have that or this or that, or, and I want to get more to what you're talking about, like with the mental health part of it, as far as like what medication mm-hmm. you were taking at the time, along with suffering from addiction and all that kind of stuff. But I will say that, do you remember when I went to a meeting with you? Do you remember that? It no. was in, it was in Redmond, Redmond, Oregon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, went I think to, I do. Yeah, I went to a meeting and I remember seeing like a lot of thin people and thinking, wow, like you just expect to go to a room that's full of very large people, but it was actually a lot of thin people. And so I was always intrigued by the whole thing too, because especially I think in our family, food has always been tricky, you know, just the way it always has been, I mean, Tasha really, Tasha, our younger sister, she's got a really good description for it. She, she would say like food anxiety, like Mm. there was just always this like feeling around food growing up, you know, and maybe because we didn't buy it just, maybe it was like scarce at times or I don't know, but I uh, thought for a while, like maybe I have addiction, you know, because I look, I like sugar and I had, you know, problems like controlling it here at at times, you know? So I had to like really go through that myself and just, I know we had a lot of talks about it. Like in my, after having Tobin, I kind of like, I think I went back to thinking, well, maybe I have this issue or blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I just kind of always put myself in a, like, this could be me too. You know, I never like Mm -hmm. shy away from the possibility of, anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think any of us could come up with addiction at some point, you know, whether, right. Don't you think so anyway? Yeah. But what, what, well, I was going to say the food industry is weaponized food so much Yeah. that, you know, it's kind of like talk to somebody and if they have, you know, meth, for example, you know, somebody has meth, they could not be predispositioned to meth, but to get addicted Mm -hmm. to it. Right. Um, Right. 
Whereas for me, I'll have a natural response to food that other people won't have. But because the food has become so weaponized that, you know, the sugar is so intense, um, you know, in, in, in the, uh, you know, the middle ages, you know, um, uh, it was only, only, you know, queens and kings could get a cup of sugar in a year. Right. No, I mean, it was just the way the food is now is just so different from the way uh, it grew out of the ground, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I I call it weaponized because it it has gotten to the point where there are foods that are designed to be addictive, you know. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they they use rats to figure out kind of how to get them to eat beyond um, their hunger point. Cause if you give them regular food, they stop when they're hungry. But if you combine a certain kind of, uh, you know, combinations of salt and sugar, then they just keep eating and they don't stop. Mm-hmm. And so then what they do is they take that combination and put it in food. Um, and then, you know, we have that reaction. We eat beyond our hunger. And, um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's not just people who have a physical. So what that means is, is the good news is if they just steer clear, they're going to be okay. But an addict, their mind will just keep taking them back and back and back and back. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, and then it just takes over, you know, so you can over a long period of time, you'll, an addict, it'll happen, you know, but it wants to look different. I think the best way, when you talk about those meetings, um, one of the, uh, my mentors, she says, um, food addicts, a lot of times don't look like, uh, food addicts, you know, mm-hmm. any people necessarily don't look like food addicts, but, um, that doesn't mean that they're not. And then at the same thing with, with people that are not right size, they could look like they're food addicts, but they're not necessarily food addicts. Right. It's just hard to put a picture it's more like behaviors um i have a list i have a list of behaviors if you want to hear some yeah i think that would be super helpful so this is this is i am a food addict and and uh the meetings that i go to i we start the meeting off with this and it's to help us identify um so uh this is if you're a food addict likely these are some things that you struggle with it's a little bit of a list but i'll read it to you i think it'd be worth hearing okay um so uh eating until i'm stuffed or drugged to sleep not able to predict when the binge will stop craving sticky pasty greasy food running out of binge food then frantically searching for another fix knowing that i'm sick and dying scared and angry obsessed with food obsessed with weight Forgetting how bad it was the last time, believing food is my friend and comfort, eating to feel better, always feeling worse, hiding what I eat, where I eat, how much I eat, losing control of food in life, feeling helpless and hopeless, powerless over addictive foods, never hungry, never satisfied, lying to myself and others, having fewer healthy choices, sick and tired of being sick and tired, questioning why I'm so weak. Dining, restricting, purging, running, hoping to beat this thing, hating how I look and feel, wondering if there is a way out, binge eating despite the painful consequences, wanting less, eating more, food is my drug, and I'm full of shame. That's I thought you were going to say full of shit. Full of shame. You're probably full of shit, too. You do that, you're probably going to be full of shit. But that's those are like really common themes. Mm, you know, that's a just, lot. Yeah, they're very, they're very, those are very familiar to me. Well, I think uh, for me coming to conclusion that that wasn't necessarily the major weakness for me was Mm -hmm. basically thinking it's not that sugar isn't addictive and that maybe you have 
that people on on in America are somewhat addicted to sugar because of circumstance of what we're being fed mm-hmm. at some level, if we're giving into that. Right. I mean, anyway, I mean, the biggest thing that I learned, I think with eating was watching how my kids eat because they mm. are innocent. And so yeah. I learned a lot from like them. I think if, I think that if anyone is suffering with, with possibility of an addiction, the, the best thing that I think I can say from my end and not being an addict, at least at this moment, is that there was a time where I was kind of walking with you in that, like thinking if, what if I have that? Like, what if, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have depression, I have anxiety, like we're in the same mix. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we have the same yeah. DNA, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I was like, just grappling with it, grappling with it, grappling with it. And I went home from staying at, in Ben at your house. And I was just like, God, I was just like, what's like, it's it to my mind, it was like black and white, either you're an addict, sugar addict, or you're not like, like if you're eating sugar and you can't stop eating sugar, well, then you're an addict. Like that's how black and white it got in my head, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I was just like, God, I was like in that angry, like you better show me, I'm so tired of this and health is important to me too. All yes. through having kids, blah, 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 blah. Right. you know, working out, doing this, this. And so all I heard was, is, have I ever led you astray? Hmm. And that was it. I was like, that wasn't a clear answer. Okay. It yeah. wasn't like, no, you're not an addict. Right. It was, have I ever led you astray? Yeah. So with that, it's like, what? It's being honest with yourself and kind of just being like facing the music. Right. And you did that and you continue to do that, which is so admirable because, you know, you've evolved. It's Mm. not black and white. You've gone up and down, Mm. you know, and you are here today. You're like a walking testimony to faith and discipline and choice and, you know. Yeah, um, definitely evolving for sure. Um, I think the recovery program, um, 12 steps uh, for anybody who is in in any kind of addiction is a journey for sure. And uh, it's definitely a a path. It's not for everybody. It's not meant for everybody, you know, Um, but if somebody does, um, you know, uh, qualify, like if they do, you know, they do find that they are, you know, the, the word uh, I saw this yesterday. So man takes a drink, drink, takes a drink, drink, takes the man, you know? Oh, wow. Um, That's a good way to say it. You know, and that's, that's kind of what the substance, you know, or the behavior or, you know, um, you know, Kevin has a candy bar, candy bar is a candy bar. <laughs> Mark takes Kevin. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it, it kind of, if that's what's happening, then, you know, 12 steps can be an escape, you know? Um, but it's the, the other thing is, is that uh, 12 step program, there's food acts anonymous. Uh, there's kshepherd.com has a book, uh, called food addiction. The body knows from the first bite, you know, anybody who's having struggles with that. I was, um, lucky enough to find the right people, but what was interesting also too, is kind of going back to what you said about the mental health piece is, is that I'm duly diagnosed. So I had the, the, uh, bipolar two going on and, and then the eating addiction and both of those wreaked 
have it on each other. And I needed both of them treated. And um, many times in recovery, they don't, because it can, your mind can be so deceptive, you can blame the other things. You can say, you know, um, well, yeah, I'm just eating because I'm depressed. I don't really have depression, you know, and so somebody will go along that line. And so um, you, a lot of times in 12-step programs, you don't hear about mental health medications or treatment because you really are trying to keep it to just focusing on that you're there to talk about that addiction and 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 the reason it's important that you are there to talk about that because um when you're going through detox it does feel depression right it does feel that way and so you go a long way with that that entering in the picture but then eventually you're cleaning everything you're still having it and that's what was happening to me and i was talking to um uh, that, you know, I had a situation where I, I, I needed to go get evaluated for my mental health issues. And it was a personal thing between uh, dad and Cindy and I. And, um, and I went and uh, this guy who was in recovery, um, just a complete, you talking about, did you ever lead me wrong? Right. I mean, just this guy, he was an internal medicine doctor that helped me in recovery. And I went to him and I said, I think I need mental health medications. He said, well, I set an appointment and he prescribed also. And so he says, I think I know what you've got going on with you. Like when we met, I told him everything. He asked me a ton of questions and says, I think I know what's going on with you. And he identified that bipolar two disorder. Wow. He identified it. And, um, and it was, and I have literally been on the same medications ever since. Wow. The wow. exact who, who same. Is it? Who is it? I, well, I, because of recovery, I keep his name anonymous. Oh, okay. So it right. wasn't someone, a psychiatrist. It was someone who was in recovery, in recovery. who was also a doctor at the oh, same time. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yes. And I went to him and uh, he, he just, I, he was literally was kind of excited. So I think I know what's going on with you. Wow. And uh, he prescribed Lamectal which is for, it's an anti-seizure medication that they saw has a really nice uh, mood stabilizing effect. It has very um, minimal side effects, uh, which before I think the bipolar medication was, um, you know, they're pretty extreme. Mood stabilizers are pretty extreme. A lot of, a lot of prescribers, people that prescribe medication are kind of like, I don't know, bipolar, you know, but lamotrigine is a really good one because it's not extreme. And like lithium is for bipolar disorder, like, you know, like Nirvana, you know, Kurt, Kurt has a, you know, song named lithium. I mean, it's extreme. Lithium is a salt um, and it's got a bad rap. It's very natural, but it's been used to help with uh, mood swings. Right. And, yes. um, but it can have side effects and it's also high maintenance. You have to have your blood checked a lot to make sure the measures are good and all that stuff. So, uh, Lamotrigine or that's the, it's Lamectal, but the, anyways, Lamectal, the uh, generic name is Lamotrigine. That was great. I've been on it ever since. And that, is that all you take? I take Wellbutrin, um, along with that because the Lamotrigine, it, it's, it, it, there's ups and downs, right? And then there's at what level of mood are you? So if you're a low mood, it can level the low mood out where you're not having the idea. Lifts it, but Wellbutrin lifts the mood up. So it's less swings. It gets the mood up. But if you have just an antidepressant, it messes with those mood swings. Like if you already have it, it just stirs the pot. pot. So that's why you need a mood stabilizer if you have a, a bipolar two or one. And then you have the, some, some will 
uh, add an antidepressant along with that. And that's what, that's what he did for me. And I've been on it ever since, man. I mean, yeah, it's been like, like, don't change something that's yeah. working, you know, since it's like 2003. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When do you think bipolar two really became in existence? Like noticed, would you say it was in the two thousands? I, I think that a lot of people are starting to understand that a lot of depression is improperly diagnosed. Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's such a nuance to this. I don't, I, I don't know a whole lot of people that still understand it. Got it. Well, okay. So we're definitely going to continue this conversation. I, I feel like this is a good place to stop as far as time-wise, yeah. but, and this is why, because there's so much to what happens next. I feel like the next chapter is really going to come from moving to Redmond, right? Yeah. From Nashville to Redmond. Right. 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 Which is another whole experience in and of itself. Really now let's put a bookmark on it. And I want to dig way deep into that more. Okay. Let's do it.